0: Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Well, hello. This is a really wonderful opportunity for me because I have always loved animal tracking and tracking in general. I love going to the beach and, and trying to guess, you know, who was walking on the beach what they're carrying, where they're looking, all these things. And I've actually taught a little bit of search and rescue in my career early on when I was really studying tracking actively. So this guest that I'm sharing today, that I'm connecting with, Kit Lynn Walken, is someone that I am really excited to talk to because she's been teaching tracking and bushcraft and awareness with a focus in some ways a little bit about man tracking and search and rescue and a, a whole bunch of things so anyway thank you for being here and welcome to the forest educator
1: thank you so much ricardo my, my pleasure
0: for sure yeah you are based in italy but you seem to go everywhere i'm born and raised in the north of italy quite closer to the
1: alps so say that uh, i'm uh, one hour away from the border with Switzerland. But I am currently talking a lot, especially these years, so all, all over Europe, because it happens to me that uh, I don't have uh, some sort of, a, let's say, a quarter here nearly. I just collaborated with different school, different association, and every single time it's me reaching uh, the locations. Uh, because it makes sense, especially from a search and rescue perspective. Uh, I needed uh, to train people in their own environment with our own move the terrain, with our own vegetation. So it makes sense that it's me reaching the area and uh, putting also myself at the same level of the students, if you know what I'm saying, because yeah. it's it's going to be a sort of a discovery as well as a challenge, <laughs> let's say in this manner.
0: Right. Yes, that makes perfect sense to go where they're at because otherwise if they all came to america or they all came to italy or they you know then it's a it's an extra thing they have to do to try to figure out how to apply it in their yeah. in their environment so it's wonderful that you're willing to do that but yeah that that's really wonderful you get to see a lot of different types of landscapes i guess
1: mm, totally yes so i think that it's a part of the classes and part of the whole journey of life not all of classes
0: yes <laughs> that's so true in, in the united states we don't have as much cultural. seems like we don't have as much cultural differences as you do in europe so uh that would seem to be really important to be able to you know not just show up and immediately start teaching but to
1: yeah
0: have the time to get to know some of the people and how they're how they Hopefully, are and everything you needed to
1: also to understand what's up which are the habits, for example, of the people, and uh, just to share with you and um, all the people that are listening to us some, uh, uh, let's say, not funny stories, but uh, real stories that happen to me all over my classes. I recognize that uh, every single time I need to adapt, okay, to adapt to a different timetable. So that, for example, in the Netherlands, they want to have classes starting from 10 a.m. and finishing around 4 because they really care a lot about their, uh, let's say, um, spare time uh, and they love also to mm, get into bicycle after the classes or uh, run a little bit uh, and so on. Instead, yeah. uh, instead, we have a totally different scenario. Classes can start at 9 a.m. and finish at around midnight. So for me, it's very tough to talk uh, in Spanish uh, for such a long time because uh, it's really, um, it's challenging and it's also exhausting a little bit because you need to think in in, in another language and uh, Spanish, it's not at the same level for me as English, so sometimes it's a little bit tricky, let's say. Yes. But it, it's part of it. And as you say, uh, it's a matter of also of different cultures and integration, because uh, having to deal with uh, so many different uh, uh co-creators, my partners, and as well as students, it helped me a lot um, to improve myself as a person, as well as improving my way of being, not only as an instructor, but a, as a human being.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. I have no way, I, I, I speak a little bit of Spanish, but I can't even imagine how going going to another country, say Italy, and trying to teach without knowing the language. So, I have a, that's it's really impressive to me what you're doing. So,
1: now for me, it's important to offer uh, to the people uh, um, a tracking course in their own language. So, yes. I wouldn't say that I wanted to learn all the languages from uh, from uh, of all Europe because, for example, learning Norwegian. It would take a lot of time but uh, honestly i'm trying to do my very best in uh just perhaps offering the people the basic concepts in their own language uh, because I'm, I'm in this manner i'm making sure there is nothing missing in translation you know what i'm saying so yes. that every single concept especially the very basics which you can apply also to animal tracking are clear crystal clear
0: to everyone, yes.
1: Beyond the fact that the level of English could be much better in some countries than in other, no, because for example, when I said, in Spain, very very few people speak English. That's right. So it was necessary for me to to learn Spanish and Spanish of Spain and not Spanish from South America because some terms are
0: completely different. Yes, that's true. That's really true. How, how did you get started learning how to do tracking? I mean, what was your childhood like? Or, you know, where did you kind of get this passion and discover that for nature and for all these, all the things you've been studying?
1: Well, I can tell you that uh, usually I, I place a joke and I'm giving all the food to my dad because yeah. he raised me like a boy. And since uh, back in the day, we just used to have a one television at home It was him uh, kind of forcing me and my mom to watch uh, Western movies, uh, you know, Uh every single day, every single evening, after dinner. So I got uh, a little bit into, let's say, that mindset. uh, And uh, I was fascinated as a child uh, by the figure of trackers, uh, Native Americans, and so on. So when uh, I reached um, mm, 22, 25 years old, uh, I started to... Uh Getting more into survival skills, uh, attending mm-hmm. the first classes, uh, and then uh, don't need the possibility to learn, uh, mm, I would say, in a very consistent manner, solid manner, tracking skills. So I was uh, looking for a school in Europe, I ran into the davis Scott School, the European Division, which is based you not know, far away, for example, from my place. I attended three classes with them and then uh, I went to Virginia when attended, where, sorry, attended the 2017 a course uh, which was entitled Tactical Equity for ID. So it was a very specific course. It uh, was intended to be uh, the first leg of the course was intended to be like a basic women uh, tracking course, but then it went a little bit into identification of ID, so it was very specific, and I had this huge opportunity to learn from uh, Michael, who became uh, my mentor, and was also the instructor and the founder of Moose Tracking School, the school that I'm representing, but right. also having a um, very brilliant instructors like uh, Rob Speeden from uh, the Department of Search and Rescue in Virginia, and then Kenneth Galbraith, who uh, used to be a former Green beret, now in the UK, and Freddy uh, Codill, uh, that is a great survival instructor. So there was a huge opportunity, you know, and squeeze uh, in five days uh, of intense training. Mm. And it was wow. I <laughs> say, so, yeah. I'm super, super happy about this, uh, uh, this privilege because it's no more an opportunity, it's something more, it's a privilege. And uh, then when I came back to Italy, um, some people asked me to run the first classes. Uh, and uh, within uh, uh, all the, I'm going to say in, uh, in English, I'm missing this word, uh, the confirmation, let's say, from uh, Michael um, in Regina, I started to run in these classes because you recognize that uh, I got uh, the, let's say, uh, proper skills uh, to conduct the classes in uh, Europe using his program, his guidelines, and so on. So that's it. what I am actually doing uh, right now since so far uh, six years.
0: Wow. Wow, that's great. So yeah, so you, you were in Virginia, you're doing the tracking, these courses. A lot of these are people who have been in the military uh, where they have to use these skills to, you know, to survive in some cases, right? So they're training people in those classes. I mean, I learned a lot of my wilderness skills from uh, Tom Brown, you know, like 30 years ago. And there were many times where we would be in a class and there would be five or six or 10 people who were very clearly military background. Yeah. Standing off to the side a little bit and like observing everything that was going, learning everything. And we used to have some really interesting conversations, you know, late at night around the campfire uh, from some of their experiences. And it was always I was always really impressed by their curiosity, their willingness to learn and and dive right in. So but I've never really taken like those kinds of tactical type training I'm excited to want to maybe go there and learn, even though now I'm a lot older. So I probably won't be rescuing anybody anytime soon from a top of a mountain. But
1: it's, uh, you know, um, knowledge awaits nothing. So it's uh, always good to have uh, different skills that spread from and drift from survival into tracking because uh, most of the time the two skills are uh, can be intended as a pair, as pair to each other. So for example, this year I conducted uh, already two courses combining mentoring skills um, led by me and survival skills led by structure instructor. It happened in Luxembourg and it was uh, in April, And it happened also in, uh, um, in Italy around uh, the beginning of May. And it was good because especially in the course, we also have a possibility to, to let's say, employ um, the benefits from the presence of a um, psychologist who is into adventure psychology. So explain us uh, which are the processes uh, that our mind couldn't use when we started to, you know, feel um, anxiety or uh, to got into panic attack in case uh, we are uh, running into any sort of a dangerous situation or emergency situation in case for example of getting lost so we set up a course that was very specific uh, uh, in providing information if something uh, go not uh, as planned before uh, you know yeah and uh, i recognize that uh, a lot of people wants to learn it uh, just to have these skills, uh, to apply them in case of any uh, accident or missions. In other cases, uh, especially for tactical tracking, uh, you know, the basics are the same. It's the application which makes a difference, uh, because the application of man tracking for and rescue drifts away from the application of man tracking for law enforcement, border patrol, uh, for the forensic uh, as well. So we needed to understand that every single time the scenario can be also a little bit fluid. It's hard to to tell but uh, said but true, sometimes uh, you are called into a search rescue mission, and this also happened to me because I'm a volunteer for a search rescue organization in the North River, so for the uh, let's say Alpine Rescue and it happened that uh, what it's supposed to be like a missing person case ended up to be an homicide or suicide. So all the signs that are from the terrain and the vegetation, you can really reconstruct uh, also, uh, let's say the climax that the the person got into when he started to feel anxiety, maybe this person started to run, he developed also dendrophobia in some cases. So you can read all this, uh, uh, let's say, all this climax. From the terrain and from the vegetation, because uh, maybe the person then ended up uh, into brambles, which is uh, very unreal, uh, you know, or very uncommon. And uh, also, a lot of people may have uh, some problems in orientation and ended up uh, very close to gorges, uh, which are, for example, uh, uh, in abundance uh, in the northeast of Italy, in Slovenia, in Austria as well. So that's why right now I'm focusing on teaching uh, search and rescue groups, especially for the mountain rescue, the Bergretung in German, to right. learn, uh, to make them, uh, make them understand uh, and uh, analyze uh, which are the signs on the ground that tell you in this precise spot, uh, the person lost the balance and uh, he fell down or she fell down. And maybe ooh, the person tried to grab some sort of upper vegetation to kind of have like a sustain. But, you know, yes. some gorges are really, really deep and narrow. So it makes sense that uh, uh, sometimes you can go over there with helicopters or with drones. And the presence of the water makes also sometimes the effort for uh, dogs to... Uh, who are trained for main trading uh, quite uh, useless because just the presence of the running water can drag the particles of all of the smell of the person away. So this is right. the scenario that's extremely common to have uh, in, this, uh, uh, in this area.
0: Right, right. Yeah, you know what's interesting about like search and rescue, uh, I've been talking to a number of people who, are who live near like national parks here in the United States mm-hmm. and there are so many they said that the the number of people that are going out who are completely unprepared to oh. climb a mountain or get down off a mountain or you know handle the weather cuz they the weather changes like they are completely you know they're just constantly getting phone calls from somebody 15 miles in the woods up in the mountains in the wilderness mm-hmm. and they say come get me and yeah. they you know they're just having to hike all the way out with all their team and their all their gear to get someone who fell down or they got hurt because they just weren't wearing the right clothing or they 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 were doing something that they shouldn't really be doing and and they just were telling me the same things that you're, you're kind of saying that just you know, the, they don't really know what to do because there's so many people going out and getting lost and then panicking. And it sounds like the work you're, you're talking about would is really, really important to help people to, you know, train them and then also to train those that are going out to rescue how to how to maybe find somebody before they get hurt, before they get yeah. In now, what we are also
1: um, trying to do with uh, the local search rescue team is uh, to train them, and mm-hmm. uh, by their own uh, perspective, also to train uh, people who are going to the mountains uh, to exaggerate signs sometimes. Because yeah. the problem is that, uh, uh, I don't know in the United States about that, but what is very common to happen here is that uh, some people got lost, let's say, in a specific area, especially on high mountains, and especially when they have a very low visibility because of the presence of really, um, some low clouds, for example. I'm talking about the, the apps specifically. Right. So they got in contact with the search and rescue teams, uh, and the search and rescue say, stay put over there, okay? and yeah. uh, you know and these people started to walk <laughs> and that's the recovery. and they started to walk because they got into the banking, they are thinking that the rescue would can would come in a matter of uh, you know minutes sometimes yeah. which is not possible every single time so they start to move a lot and this is a problem for the search rescue team because as Samira has got a good let's say signal so they cannot be traced also by their mobile phones yeah. so we are uh, trying to provide some short, of small uh, workshops to our people who want to approach some hikes or some also easy trails on the mountain to exaggerate a sign if they got lost uh, to drag you know their feet a little bit uh, in order to leave even more sign because i recognize that not not all the volunteers are not trackers that they are full of will to learn but it takes uh, you know better than me a lot of time and experience so, if also the missing person can do their part uh, that it costs absolutely nothing in leaving more sign, and i not talking about cutting trees or whatever, just right. dragging off their feet, exaggerating their tracks, uh, that could be really a remarkable point yes. for the search and rescue teams, uh, you know, and also for the dogs, because uh, if you are uh, exaggerating your sign, you are uh, consequentially leaving much more kinetic energy. And for the dogs, uh,
0: the smell uh, is much more present, much That's more right. solid. Yeah, I've never really thought about that other than sometimes when I've trained some of the children in my program, some of the teenagers and, and adults, we will we will do a tracking exercise where we drag a log behind us and they have to try to find the log, you know, and it's got these little branches sticking out and, and we go kind of wandering through the fields and... And they they have to find that. And so it's exaggerated how, how big the the tracks are in the sign and, and just gets them seeing a repeat repeated patterns. And, but I never thought about doing that if I got lost, like to exaggerate that. So that, that makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. Just just yeah, to help
1: everyone else. Uh, order to it's um. Yeah. You know, of, went in my mind When i when I was uh, uh researching some uh, recent news from from the states about uh cases, uh, let's say, of missing persons solved by search and rescue teams. And in 2021, it happened that two cases uh, involved the trackers. So one was in um, in New Mexico, and the other one was in uh, in California, in Santa Barbara County. I have okay. uh, the two newspapers that I report. Especially in one that was focused on the missing case scenario in Santa Barbara, the local news say that the trackers were able to follow a breadcrumb of trail. I'm quoting the exact word. And I say, well, what if the person who got lost have the mindset, let's say, and also the um, not the ability, but just, uh, how can I can say, The idea of leaving even more marks on the ground, that would be a remarkable aid for trackers. And that's why I was developing this, uh, it's not a system, it's not a program, just developing these ideas with the search rescue teams. And they found it good. So they created some flyers in different languages, just uh, explaining people what to do if they got lost, and they really cannot avoid it to, uh, let's say, I, would, I wouldn't say Rome, but just, you know, wander because of anxiety and uh, panic attack and so on. Yes. And uh, we are developing, especially for Slovenia, because they have a, a huge uh, uh, central uh, area, uh, which is uh, connected with their highest peak Tree Globe, and we got people from different nationalities. So it makes sense to create some sort of a to-do list in case you got lost in different languages that help everyone and the very yes. beginning of the trailer. You know, you have got a cabin with a starting point for all the trails, and yes. you can proceed with that.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to do that, and that's really really smart and helpful because. Uh, Yeah, it's, you know, like everything you said, the scent for the dogs and for people looking for you. Sometimes they might be looking for you at night and they're using a flashlight and they could see something on the trail or whatever, wherever it is. Uh, Yeah, it makes it makes 100% easier. And it really increases your chance of being found and and having a good ending uh, 100%. And I like what you're saying about anxiety and uh, people who are panicking uh, because that is one of the biggest things that I think people kind of forget about is just how much of a panic. And I I have lots of friends who have studied wilderness skills and they've done, you know, built shelters and made fire with, you know, just with rocks and sticks. And like they they have good wilderness survival skills. But for at least three of my friends who have gotten lost, they said, oh, we were hiking and all of a sudden we realized we we're lost and we're not going to be able to get back in, in time before we're gonna have to spend the night here and and each of them said that they had with all their training they were incredibly surprised at just how scared they were how anxious they were Mm -hmm. and they said they were saying like i don't even know how much a person who isn't trained would be panicking so uh yeah, it, it's, it's really a real thing. I I think that is a, a massive factor in all these, in all these programs, you know, in our program, yeah. to add that in and say, this is going to happen and let them know that it's okay to have those feelings. And here's how to stop yeah. doing that, you know, because
1: uh, I get up, one of the first rules of our uh, of tracking is uh, to put yourself into the mind uh, of the quarry if you are uh, doing some tactical tracking or in the mind of the missing person if you are into search and rescue. Yeah. So, a couple of years ago, or yeah, three years ago so far, I've uh, been asked by uh, American Survival Guide, while well, it was still existing, it has a really, really good uh, magazine on uh, survival, one of the most important, uh, perhaps I recognize uh, that you have in the States to ask, um, to write an article about the psychology of the missing person. So since uh, um, I don't feel confident in, uh, you know, facing uh, this very specific topic over myself, uh, I called in uh, one of my students who is a psychologist. that is the same guy who was explaining about the adventure of psychology in uh, that course that I led in in May. So the two of us uh, provide an article, in which his part was focused on what happened inside the, the mind of the missing person. Uh, with this climax starting from shame, because the first film that you have is just shame. You are yeah. shame of got law getting lost. You are shame of uh, what other people can say about you, your relatives, your friends, your wife, and so on. And then yeah. you start to have uh, a real uh, rampage, let's say, of other feelings. And mm-hmm. uh, um, these feelings uh, are also equivalent to possible very bad action that you can decide to take, like, for example, to run, to take uh, the wrong trail, to do not uh, uh, listen also to your body that is telling you, are you going to hypothermia or are you going into dehydration, and so on. And uh, my part instead was focusing on what to do. If you are uh, a professional tracker, you can uh, backtrack yourself, in few words. But if you are not, you can try to uh, apply your track skills uh, to understand, if, uh, for example, that uh, you have a beaten trailer which is not marked, okay? Yeah. Or uh, um, or design, because, you know, it's not used anymore. It's used just by younger. as a very common scenario, for example, on, on the Alps that you have uh, unmarked uh, trails, mm-hmm. undesigned, because there are no more in use or so just hunters uh, know them and use them. So, we had this uh, the possibility to write this article, and uh, you can still find it uh, on the website, uh, Psychology of the Missing Person. And uh, uh, then, I personally uh, would love also to take some uh, uh, workshops or webinar with Robert Costa, who is uh, a real moderator uh, for missing person behavior. I think that he is uh, living in Canada right now, but I read all his books, I study them. Uh, so for me, it's a reference point. And uh, again, I'm talking about children, as you mentioned before. Uh, I'm telling this to you right now, but also to all the people who are listening to us. Uh, if you're going on the website, thewayoftracking.com, you can download absolutely for free. A small handout for children up to, we'll say, since five years old up to 12, more or less, uh, which is called uh, tracking for kids. And uh, it helps the kids to understand what is tracking, what they can do with tracking, what they can apply. And um, it's not like uh, the program that Abby Taylor developed uh, in the early 90s, which was called the uh, yeah, uh, hungry Tree. This is uh, something different. It's really a small, small companion for children, uh, and okay. that I, I develop uh, my own uh, my own way. But it's uh, available uh, in English, in French. Uh, in Spanish, in Italian, so in, in different languages with some uh, illustration that is supposed to, to make everything more, uh, let's say, uh, easy also for uh, for the kids.
0: Right. So I yeah. invite
1: everyone to go on my website uh, download it for free. And for the adults, I have uh, another page which is called Man Tracking Sources and you can find more or less uh, 15 articles that I wrote all over the years, and you can download it for free, from track cards to men tracking applied to stoicism, so men tracking applied to um, philosophy, some sort of, uh, let's say, uh, interview sometimes on some specific points, like, uh, for example, I wrote an article on uh, tactical tracking during the colonialism period along with a professor, From uh, Calgary in Canada is a very famous uh, Doctor Stapleton who wrote a lot of uh, different uh, uh, books uh, on this topic. But we partner up uh, to write something specifically for uh, tracking and counter-tracking during uh, colonialism time in uh, in Africa.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's those these all these resources are incredible. Uh, You you've just you've been very very busy. uh, (laughs) I I I love to. I don't.
1: You really believe that not everything should be on sale because yeah. our knowledge should be shared and i really think that it's good to provide the people at least one um, each two months i'm trying to you know to respect this rhythm accordingly also to my agenda uh to write something new like uh, creating uh, an essay or uh, some neutral cards i create some tables for the search or rescue uh, based on the most common footwear in terms of uh, sneakers, uh, military boots or hiking boots that you have in the States, yes. to which are the best sellers, and I'm doing the very same for Europe. Specifically, I started from the Netherlands and then I, I created another one from Slovenia. Just uh, talking to the owner of shop and asking them, which is the, the let's say, your best seller in terms of uh, hiking boats? And they say, for example, it's a Salomon, uh, that kind of model. I say, okay, good. Because uh, having the pattern, uh, so in few words, the design of the soul it helps a lot of the search rescue team to know what they are looking for in case they have. Uh, some specific details from the family telling them uh, uh, our son came back from home uh, wearing these kind of boots. So yes. we know exactly the design of the sole because if we Google a specific model, let's say Nike Air Max I don't know uh model XY soul designer we can clearly have it in uh, what a couple of seconds uh, the photograph of the design of the soul so it's an incredible incredible sorry uh ADA for and rescue teams
0: yeah that's that's right I I saw those on your Instagram account uh you I think you were mentioning it maybe or or something but it yeah. I, that makes a lot of sense I I because I te- work with a lot of children one of the things that they don't ever know about me is that when I get a group of children with me and we're in a a camp, you know, we're there sitting around the campfire or whatever, they don't realize it, but I'm, I'm really memorizing what shoes they're wearing and what the tread is at the bottom of it. That's a critical
1: point. That's a critical point.
0: Yeah. So I, I really notice like, you know, like we will walk down a driveway and it's, it's got dust on the road. And I will walk behind all the children and then see, oh, okay. here's this interesting swirl pattern from one shoe. And then here's a like a, a, you know, classic hiking pattern. Oh, here's a different style with these sort of blocky rectangle things with a line through. Like I I really try to do that. I just do it automatically. I don't really think about it and I don't really ever say anything to anyone. And it is incredibly helpful if you could just bring up that tread pattern immediately and or have those resources that just get people thinking, oh, yeah, this is what we would look for if we were, you yeah. know, looking for that person. So a 100%. His
1: necessity could be, yeah, valuable aid.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I know... Uh, you know, to search and rescue, what's interesting about like man tracking is that you you really have so few clues to go on except mm-hmm. the mindset of the person and, you know, their experience and and these little marks from their feet walking sometimes over rock or whatever and to be able to find traces of that. Um, it's it's really in many areas it can be a just incredible challenge.
1: Indeed, indeed. Also because some areas are so let's say um, nasty in terms of terrain uh, that uh, having a good track trapper, uh, sometimes it's a mission. And for track trap, I'm referring to the common terminology for tracking to identify some areas uh, with no debris, no vegetation. You can clearly see the outline. Uh, of uh, the footwear as well as uh, the internal uh, uh, sole design, what we call before a uh, uh, pattern. Um, I recognize by my own experience that one of the, mm, let's say, most challenging areas are high altitudes. Uh, because if you go up to, and I'm sorry, I'm telling this in meters, uh, and yeah. I'm trying to translate in, uh, in feet. Uh, if you are going up to, uh, let's say, 1,500 meters, uh, should Mm -hmm. be around 3,000 feet, something like that. Yeah. You are uh, um, surrounded by an environment in which uh, mm, only if you are staying on the trail, because it's so well beaten that you have the ideal, mm, let's say, condition in terms of humidity and, uh, let's say, status of softness of the terrain, uh, that you can tracks otherwise if you could go a little bit off trail so walking on prairies of high mountains, high altitude that grass is extremely resilient yes. so what do you have is' a spring back effect and you have immediately a spring back effect because in this area it's incredibly strong it can resist to high wind um, to um, sorry strong wind. Uh, heavy rain, some sort of a very, let's say, uh, strong hazard that you can get on high altitude. So that's why working in those areas, it's a little bit uh, tricky and I just consider a very advanced level for not a novice tracker, but for people who are more used to And instead, uh, humid areas are uh, a lot of forest. Uh, I can tell you by my own experience, a, a good area could be, for example, in Virginia in the States, uh, or uh, also Pennsylvania, that area that you have over there. They are offering you the possibility not only to see tracks very easily, but also to have uh, a preservation of tracks during the yeah. time. Uh, and it happened, but we're saying uh, in Europe, because of countries, for example, like Slovenia, who are uh, kind of covered quite uh, entirely by the forests, uh, they really offer you the possibility to see tracks uh, even uh, after one week. And right. I'm not joking. Yeah. I'm not joking. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's right. You know, where we live, you know, where, where I usually learn tracking for me, I learned in sandy areas, areas with a lot of sand. And a lot of sand that leaves very clear, wonderful prints. But that- I have
1: uh, sand uh, only in the south of uh, of Spain, Barcelona, yeah. for example. And the sand, again, only in the central part uh, of the Netherlands. Otherwise, uh, I can't say goodbye to sand because it's uh, quite impossible to have it uh, in uh, Europe. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it. Yes. it is what it is
0: yeah no, it's true and and it was it was so interesting going from learning about tracking in those areas to then coming to you know a heavy forested area where it's underneath the ground, you know the ground is covered in leaves and you know pine needles or yeah. little plants and things like that. and it's a very, very different. And then, like you said, going into grass that's tough or those alpine meadows where they don't they don't hold a track for very long. Everything I imagine must be all about trying to cover as much ground as you can and get a couple of clues and just keep trying to move around a lot, cover a lot to see if you can get there in time. Uh, yeah, it's tracking is just a fascinating subject. And I know that one thing that I, it seemed for me with children that sometimes children, they don't really know why they should learn it. They're not that excited about it. But then we talk about animals. Like I told a story to them about how one of our rabbits, we had a little rabbit at our house and it got out of its cage in the winter and it was hopping. And we didn't we didn't we didn't know where it was, where it was. And we had to go find it. And so I took my my stepson and we went out and we looked for the animal, the tracks of the rabbit underneath its its little hut. And then we saw it, we saw where it went to a bush and then it went into the forest. And then there were just hundreds of rabbit tracks all over of other wild rabbits. And he, he just said, he, he was, he looked at me and said, how, how are we going to find this, you know, this rabbit? Because now it's in with everything else. And I said, well, you know, maybe we need to think about your rabbit. Like, what would your rabbit do? Would it stay, keep going here or would it go somewhere else? And it was just this wonderful thing of like, we have to help this rabbit because it doesn't know how to survive out here.
1: Yeah.
0: And by wanting to help another animal, children get incredibly activated to learn, like they are motivated and they will they will be very focused. So I- oh, I get yeah. you on that
1: because I was amazing the same way as you, you've been and you still are by cats. By they are really, personally speaking, I, I think that are quite of the best teachers that I have in my life, and not only for tracking, but also for life generally speaking.
0: yes, yeah, that it what was it's so interesting uh, because I think you also do um teaching tracking to people who are um, doing like uh, anti-poaching type work too. Yeah. so so I know that that is something that a lot of children here in the in America really they want to save the elephants or the rhinoceros. Mm-hmm they want yeah. to save the animals they want to save them and they and so they they start to read about the efforts that are being done mm-hmm. in different areas of the world and so i i think that there's a way that people can get interested in these things that isn't necessarily just maybe search and rescue or wildlife tracking in general but yeah it's it, it's an amazing thing I, how is what is that like to teach some of those teams of people who are trying to you know, it's, it's pretty dangerous, I th- I would imagine.
1: It is. Uh, actually, I'm in certified anti poaching range, too, because I decided to attend a course, and it was back to 2018. So I wanted to be one of them, first of all, also in order to understand how I can better, let's say, serve them with the yeah. skills. And I due to, um, let's say, this pretty crowded agenda that I have, I still didn't have the possibility to to go to Africa initially, just train them uh, in different areas. But I learned from uh, their stories, their own experience over there that obviously tracking can vary a lot from one country to another because tracking the jungle is completely different sort than tracking in the bush. And uh, it's not like, uh, uh, you know, that you can focus just on the trucks, but you have also to consider all the potential uh, presence of uh, dangerous animals, uh, dangerous insects, uh, sometimes also the presence of a terroristic group, because uh, we lost actually one of the most uh, great and experienced truckers in the world, Roar Young, a couple of years ago, during an ambush in Africa, and uh, he was an amazing person, amazing tracker. And uh, he asked me, I don't know how many times, can you come to Mali to to teach our local rangers here? And I say, that's very, very generous of you but it's If I have a one language that I miss, it's French. So yeah. that's why also... Between all all, among all the other reasons, uh, I was a little bit stuck because I really wanted to perfectionate the language, you know, before going over there and teach tracking using uh, a proper language, a proper terminology. But anti-poaching involves a lot of risk because, as I said before, it's not only doing your own thing by patrolling; it's also having to deal sometimes with. uh, a real uh, contact uh, with poachers, one, yeah. two, or uh, a small group of them, uh, it doesn't matter. You have to deal with the situation, you have to be perfectly compliant with uh, the laws of the state uh, and methods uh, of uh, doing tracking and doing anti-tracking or counter-tracking. So, in words, uh, uh, minimizing their own skill, their own tracks, and uh, the size that they live on right. the terrain. It's not something that uh, can require like two minutes. Sometimes you need to really look carefully at the ground to understand which kind of anti-tracking techniques uh, they put into use. Making a big jump about, uh, let's say, remaining in the United States, also the famous one-bomber that you have during the 90s. Uh, that can i do not you remember this case. Actually, he died uh, at the beginning of June of this year. But uh, this man, uh, he employed as well some anti tracking techniques uh, in order to disguise his own trucks. Because every single time he created these packages with uh, improvised bombs at home, and he wanted to ship them uh, at the local postal office, he used to wear uh, a pair of uh, anti tracking shoes uh, that he made and made. So he was wearing uh, these uh, sneakers, uh, and mm-hmm. he attached underneath uh, a smaller sole uh, of another pair of sneakers. And he also reduces his stride so the length uh, between uh, the two feet, uh, between the left and the right, in order to make people understand that uh, they were dealing with a uh, shorter person because he used to be extremely tall uh, and also with a person who had a completely different, uh, let's say, Woodware design, but also, you know, way of working on the, all those kind of things that usually it's up to FBI and CIA to right. teach to their agents. I'm sorry that I just drift away a little bit from the outdoor, but I don't in my mind that uh, we can also talk about anti-tracking techniques about uh, the story of Una Bomber. And uh again, a good case of attractive techniques have been put into use by Christopher Knight uh, back uh, in uh, uh, when he started to, I don't know if you are acquainted with this story. he was called uh, the Ghost of North Pond in the Maine uh, because he disappeared into thin air in 1986 uh, and he remained uh, in the same spot in the woods of Maine uh, for uh, 36 years.
0: Wow. Yeah, and he that, yeah.
1: managed to live over there by making some small robberies uh, in bungalows. Uh, you know, this guy's his own tracks. So every single time he had to leave uh, his camp, uh, he was taking uh, a new trail. He was very careful not to break in, uh, branches, for example, any kind of debris that can give away easily his position if someone was in the nearby. So. And also, these kind of things. And it's all uh, Inside a book, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just looking at my library because I got the title in Italian and uh, uh, in English, it should be A Man in the Woods by Michael Finkel. Man in the, Man woods, in the so? woods? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really, really good book. It's based on some interviews that, that journalists uh, just collected all over the, uh, the months that he had the possibility to spend a little bit in contact with uh, Christopher and I. But the story is really, really amazing because this guy was able to remain over there for 36 years. And wow. no one was able to spot
0: him. Right. Yeah, that's, it, that is really amazing. I, I think I did hear something about this. I didn't read the book, so I'm going to check that out. It's so interesting how... You know how someone can be very, very aware and know how to move, how to, like you said, leave leave no trace, um, and understand the psychology of it, everything, and that this is something that very, very few people in our culture really have as a skill set. So the things that you're teaching are are really vital for people who do dangerous work to survive, whether they're anti-poacher rangers or search and rescue, or, you know, people who are, you know, doing a tactical exercise where they're... A
1: broad application. let's say, of this uh, of this ancient, uh, but as I see on my website, an ancient but still fascinating and consistent skill, uh, because we cannot reply, so far, skill with uh, any, you know, any device, any technology. It just stands out of uh, what we have right now, because he deals with uh, a lot of... Uh, skills and the knowledge that you can only gather from uh, your own experience and from the field, from this alert time, which is the terminology for tracking uh, or uh, identifying uh, the amount of hours that you spend on the terrain, uh, looking for tracks, uh, interpreting them, then following them. uh, It's only up to the individual, let's say.
0: Yeah. Yes, that's true. I, I, When I was learning about tracking, I used to wear shorts and my knees would be completely like dark and black from the soil, (laughs) like for, for months, even after I, you know, it would be like in the winter when I wasn't doing it anymore. And my knees would still have that sort of stain from kneeling and studying and looking. And it's just time that you have, that you spend just looking and being curious and, you know, checking it all that out. So and and then reading about it, reading about animals, reading about people. It's it's a it's a lifelong journey, but getting people started really begins with someone like you who can inspire them and kind of get close and say, Look at this thing on the ground. This is
1: I'm really, really honored to be a trader of this art. I'm just a I'm all grateful every single day to have the possibility to be a student and among students because I really believe in that. We are not at uh, different levels. Every single time we look at the ground, we are always uh, learning something new. It could be an era that uh, I learn uh, perfectly, but, uh, you know, according to different season weather conditions, it's always different, always uh, in a sort of a fluxus uh, that it changes uh, um, yeah. frantically, I would say. So I'm yes. really, really long in order to, to be an instructor and uh, to have the possibility to, to trade on this art.
0: Yes. Um, I was going to ask you, is there any country that you have not gone to track in that you want to go, like Australia or India or any place?
1: Well, well, uh, if I have to pick up one, I would say to that, because of my uh, love for uh, high mountains, for altitudes, I yeah. love to go. To Tibet, but also yeah, Australia maybe even better New Zealand, but uh, I would love to do tracking everywhere I mean, uh, not only in countries uh, like New Zealand, they have a, a huge tradition of tracking as a former country for the Commonwealth Australia New Zealand they are they have great trackers and i just want to have the possibility to uh, you know to approach different sizes and also to having also the time of me attending to other instructor classes mm-hmm. because uh, you know training is essential and every single time we have the possibility to deal with uh, a professional it's uh, it's pure gold <laughs> really <laughs> and new countries are good, but also training the perma professionals it's also extremely good
0: yeah yeah it's it's really wonderful that you're getting to go and you know be invited by other wilderness programs and study with those teachers and do that I, that is a 100% true um uh, that you know and and a lot of the, some of the people they're getting pretty old. Some of them some of the teachers yeah. are older now. And I know I have a few friends who are trackers down in South Africa and different places in in Africa, and they said that there are native trackers there who are mm-hmm. some of them are very old and they are just doing really incredible work. And so they're trying to kind of preserve this and keep that tradition going as much as they can. Yeah, have you now? I was going to ask you: Do you do things like in in America? Here, they have a tracker certification program, you know, where there's like these different levels of being a tracker. And I think it's a wildlife tracker thing. Is there something? Is there a scale or a training like that in man tracking or uh, search and rescue type? Is there anything like that, or is it just taking a class? And
1: no, most of the people that really wanted to do uh, the the full path, let's say, the full, I call it itinerary, but uh, you know what I mean, uh, full stages. So yes. once I'm with the basic, really, I have a huge percentage of people they wanted to go on uh, with intermediate level and then they advance. And then also to approach a little bit to the urban tracking, because I'm also teaching urban tracking classes. Yeah. So I would say that uh, every single school has got its own criteria. Yes. and me uh, as you know, stick to it that one from from pools, but uh, other colleagues, especially in Britain, they have uh, their own uh, let's say stages, mm-hmm. and for animal tracking, obviously there is uh, the cyber tracking uh, evaluation, which is worldwide. So they stay stick to this uh, worldwide, let's say recognized stadium of different uh, levels. I'm I'm not acquainted with the name of the the levels, but. Uh, in my case, we got uh, three main levels, and then we got some sort of an uh, interview on German tracking, uh, forensic tracking. It just depends on what the people that, uh, are asking and which kind of necessity they have. Because, uh, for example, I led a course at the beginning of, uh, of April in the Schwarzwald, uh, the Black Forest in Germany, yeah. Yeah. to uh, two policemen. And they are moving to from forensic. So that we were in a huge and one of the most beautiful outdoor area in Europe, the Black Forest. But actually, we, uh, I tailored the course for them. And it was uh, 100% a forensic uh, tracking class because they asked right. for that. And I was able to tailor it for them. And I'm doing the very same and I think that it's uh, a good approach especially for one-to-one classes uh, because in this case students can receive a, a, a really good amount of knowledge and uh, by staying together for different days uh, uh, you know practice makes perfect so we have the possibility to do a tremendous amount of exercises, and sometimes, or maybe even too much. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when I <laughs> recognize that the student is a little bit, let's say, tired, uh, I say, okay, let, let's take another break, or let's take a uh, in addition like coffee and uh, see what we can do
0: today or we can
1: move on to to the next day yeah i put all my sensitivity sensitivity yes. it.
0: <laughs> yes it's true i i mean i when i studied with tom brown he would always you know it would always be the very intensive seven-day class mm-hmm. and you by the third day, you know, my eyes, I'd have headaches, you know, all day, just staring and looking and trying and learning. And and I would always go home from that class and think, I would much rather learn this over six months. If I could do yeah. it a little bit every day, it would probably be better. But but who ha- we don't have that ability to go and study with someone for six months. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes this is just the best way we have right now. To, to do these sort of intensive programs,
1: yeah, it should be paired by uh, another uh, course, uh, maybe in the following months, but uh, sometimes it's not possible. I'm trying always to do like the main tracking course in the let's say summertime, um, spring, uh, which is a little bit less complicated, especially yeah. on the Alps, uh, and then going for uh, the other levels uh, in a different season, so perhaps. Uh, if you have that specific training area, it makes sense to do the different levels uh, accordingly to different weather conditions and the season, uh, temperature, percentage of humidity, and so on, in order to have uh, a major picture of it. Let's say.
0: Yes. Yeah, I know. We we do. A, I, I used to do a lot of classes with uh, tracking in the winter because we have snow here and there's all the animals, so you can see their tracks. You know, but during the summertime, it's very difficult to see some of those animal tracks because Mm -hmm. they're so hard to see under the dark forest in leaves or grass. You don't really get that. Whereas in the snow, you get this like beautiful print that is just tells you exactly where they went and how they did it. Um, And uh, yeah, so I could imagine that, you know, really to train somebody in search and rescue, that it would be good for them to learn you know, winter tracking, summer, all you know, all of those things, to see, you know, f- how they if they can keep practicing, I guess, and keep working and learning, and
1: try to do my best in order yeah. to have them to provide them a full overview of uh, what how trucks look like uh, again, as I say before, in different season, and also not only tracks but the uh, living vegetation, because uh, uh, I recognize that uh, in order to become a proficient tracker having a good, uh, solid basis of botany, it's very, very important. Obviously, me, I'm doing my very best in being prepared on a different, uh, let's say, different plant, because, for example, it happened that I've never been to Luxembourg before, and this year I was there for the first time, and I say, Never see these flowers. <laughs> I was really amazed by the fact that uh, they had a different kind of vegetation. Right. And also, some plants, uh, for example, we take plantain, can react uh, in a different manner according to different altitudes uh, mm-hmm. or with a, a different kind of uh, baseline. Yeah. So it's amazing to see every single time and throughout indexing, so by indexing the plant, which is the reaction of the plant, how this plant can, let's say, behave like a good indicator uh, for, uh, for trucks. And yeah. that's why um, I was, and I still have to upload some of them on my YouTube channel, some very short videos in which uh, I mm, just walk on some plants uh, and I show people which is uh, in terms of second uh, Springback effect, uh, for example, like, a mm-hmm. liberal seed So a libero seems English elbow I think. Okay, yeah. I don't know if the pronunciation is elbow or eligible. But uh, it's a very resilient plant. So uh, it makes sense that sometimes uh, you may have the idea by just looking at the plant. So it's a visual idea that uh, right. maybe the plant is extremely soft and only throughout the indexing you can really get... Uh, how resilient uh, can be the plant? One of the most resilient plants that we have, uh, uh, generally speaking, in uh, in woods, in woodland areas here in Europe, it's ivy. Okay, and ivy is not a good indicator for tracks. Right. On the opposite side, uh, in springtime, we have a white garlic, Allium ursinum in Latin. So it's uh, a a wild variety of garlic, uh, which shows this very tender. Well, leaves, which are not only edible, but again, they are very good indicator for trucks because they are so soft that sometimes they can capture also underneath the leaf, the pattern of the shoes. Oh, yeah. Just to give you an idea. So that's why I was running some months ago a webinar was only based on plants, which are good indicators for trucks and which are not.
0: Right. Yes, that's true. That's really true. And yeah, plants, plants can really teach you so much by seeing it. And, but, you know, so many people just look at the ground, they don't really pay attention to that Mm -hmm. until you really draw their attention and say, Oh, we're going to walk on this lawn, or we're going to walk on these plants. And then Say here, do you notice, you know, a lot of people today, a lot of uh, young people, too, like, they don't really know when they look out in the forest they're seeing the forest but they're not actually seeing anything specific they don't know how to interpret that data that information and by bringing their attention to it in like you said these webinars and just getting people thinking it's really the key i think
1: yeah um throughout the webinars perhaps i have the possibility to spread this knowledge to people from different uh, countries I get, for example the guy from the, um, he's from Virginia, but he's from uh, some sort of forest and garden. And uh, he attended a lot of uh, main tracking classes, also with my um, instructor, Mike. But they run into one of my webinars and they said, uh, can I attend? us said, of oh, course, I'm more than welcome, because this webinar, are intended to be just uh, uh, one hour of length. So they are very, let's say, focused on just one single uh, uh, topic. And I also provide uh, all the students uh, some handouts uh, at the end of the webinar so they can listen to it, but they can also have it and keep it, for example, in their phone. Yeah. Just like uh, some sort of uh, additional aid in case they wanted to have it. Uh, on the phone while they are doing some uh, man tracking exercise or also
0: animal tracking exercises. Right, right, yeah, that's that's really I I love that you you and other trackers are embracing technology and you know making these things available. That's that's it's really it's it's really admirable. You know, <laughs> like that's not Thank true you. for everybody, so it's it's wonderful. I remember Tom Brown, my the guy that taught me that my teacher a lot of tracking. He said, once he said, it's okay to go tracking and do man tracking for search and rescue. But he told us all, he said, don't track criminals for the police, unless you, unless you're prepared to know that, you know, those, those people who, if, if you catch that person, they will know that you were the one that made the, you know, got it, got them maybe. And then he said, you really don't want those people to You know, target you later, twenty years from now, or something. And I've always thought about that a lot. About you know, when someone run, when sometimes people who are who break the law may run into the forest, and you know, no one can find them. Uh, like like this man in uh in Maine. So, yeah. But but a good tracker, like I would imagine, you could have found that person in Maine because you would know what to look for if you were if you were looking for them. I guess maybe. So yeah, I yeah I, I don't yeah is that is the is hunting or looking for people that are are wanted for you know possible uh, criminality or whatever are those is that is that what you consider to be forensic tracking that you're looking for? Not something? actually, because uh,
1: forensic happens when, uh, in French, uh, when the, all the things are already are already happened. For example, O.J. Simpson case. Uh, so, we got right. some footprints in the, you know, on the crime scene, in that case, blood transfer footprints, and yeah. uh, the uh, forensic, they come into the scene and they start to do the proper documentation. Yes. When you are following, uh, a, for example, a fugitive, a criminal, or you have to reconstruct his own uh, criminal activities in the Great Outdoor, it goes more into some sort of uh, practical tracking uh, use applied uh, to law enforcement. That's something uh, a little bit uh, more dynamic, because uh, I always stress to my students that forensic happens to be uh, static. You know what I'm saying? When when you are following a subject or you are reconstructing for uh, a track line for uh, a huge amount of of, uh, time or in terms of, of terrain cover, it's more a tactical application of it. Right. Tactical enforcement, to be precise, just terminology. But it's uh, good to understand that some things uh, can require a lot of hours. For example, for instance, it goes exactly in that direction. And instead, and we can do that because we have uh, full time to do that. Mm-hmm. To do documentation that can last for, uh, mm, I don't know, like a three or four hours sometimes. Yeah. Instead of when we are doing something more dynamic, every single minute counts. So we really need uh, to understand how to not waste time, how to restrict the area of, of uh, research, and how to conduct uh, a follow-up uh, in the most consistent and honest manner as possible, and for honest, I mean that if we are the professional trackers and we are fatigued, it's good to ask for replacement. It's good to ask for help because, yeah. as in other skills, and you know better than me, Ricardo, ego is the worst enemy. But yeah. When you start to say to yourself, "No, you have to do that because you need to," you know, accomplish that task it's a good mindset it's a very honorable but at the end of the day if you are fatigued if you are data traded if you are in hypothermia, whatever state that you are in you cannot accomplish the task properly so right. it's always good to be 100% honest straightforward perhaps with the members of our, our
0: team right yeah we I, I remember when we were tracking in my trainings we would have a team and we would you know we, we would look at a trail like some deer walking into the forest and we would get into the the biggest arguments you know in a friendly way but we would just argue like well why is it moving this way what is it doing and how do we prove it and it's it was always really amazing how how connected we often would feel even though we were uh just people in a class together but but we started to form a team and support each other and and we then we're making everything hired. real so that's yeah. the,
1: the most important thing when you put the things in on a realistic uh, scenario yeah. realistic level everything is uh, according to my personal view it's uh, much more not only interesting but also it helps everyone to grow more not only yeah. as tracker, but also as a, a human being, let's
0: say. Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's, yeah, it's it's a really good feeling. If anybody who's listening to this has never been tracking or had a chance to be on a little team, whether it's tracking animals or humans or whatever, it's it's a really wonderful experience, and you. You will feel really excited when you make a discovery or you see you stare at the ground and you can't see it and then all of a sudden you see that track pop out and you guys go wow how did I not see that it's a it's incredible so yeah, it is I'm still every single day I'm
1: so fascinated by this art that uh I can say it's uh, an endless love an I- endless <laughs> and fascination, uh, and really I'm um, Ooh, I'm really, really honored uh, and grateful for uh, having taken this path. And uh, I probably uh, quote in, uh, sorry, it's a little uh, it's, I'm quoting a person that has nothing to do with the outdoor, but I'm, I really like some perspective from uh, Arlo Schwarzenegger when he said that uh, you have to discover your vision and the rest would follow. In yeah. my case, uh, honestly, it happened the very same. I discovered my vision. My vision is striking, and uh, I decided to follow that. With all the humility, with my feet on the ground, uh, I don't think about myself uh, anything bigger. I'm just a student. I uh, just want to learn and to provide uh, knowledge to people, to share knowledge, to absorb knowledge from professionals and, and so on.
0: Yes. Yeah, I love that. I love that quote by Arnold and I love everything you're saying. It's Thank you. It's really wonderful. So I'm going to have all of your contact information that you give me, your Instagram, your, your website and any links to any of the books that we have talked about. And I know you have other books and resources. So I'll have that all in the show notes for this episode. Um, so I'll make sure that's up. But is there any way that someone might find you What's the best way that, you know, people might find or see what you're well, doing? Well,
1: on my website, uh, they can find uh, not only all the articles uh, uh, free downloaded that we mentioned before, but also uh, link yep. to right. the YouTube channel, uh, to my uh, Instagram pages. Uh, I'm also on TikTok uh, as a key Demand Tracker, but on um, the... Um, on YouTube, uh, my channel is called Mentracking Tracking with the Kid Walker. But By the way, if uh, anyone uh, just uh, Google uh, Kid Mind Tracking, you uh, have an issue in finding my website, uh, which is, again, uh, thewayoftracking.com, uh, and all uh, the additional links uh, to my social pages. Yes. And those books are available on the main page of uh, my website, uh, on the bottom of the page specifically.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's great. I mean, most people today, I think they know that they can look at your name, Google that and say, you know, add tracking or something to that. And they will get hundreds when I, that's what happened to me when I, when I started to look up any of your, you know, materials and everything, and you have interviews with people, you have, uh, you know, even too much on the web. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's wonderful though. It's wonderful to see all the things you're doing. It's, it's, uh, You'll be anybody listening. If you if you Google and then go and you or you look up her website, you're gonna find a really wonderful resource and a lot of exciting things. So, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here and sharing. Thank you for inviting me. It was a
1: real pleasure. We had a a great conversation because at the end of the day, it's not like an interview; it's an exchange, you know, of ideas and experience, and it's uh, the best way to to grow. I mean. That's yeah my my vision of life and uh,
0: tracking as well absolutely well hey good luck out there and and have fun in Slovenia and wherever you're going next I uh, I hope you have well a good and time.
1: this week is actually Switzerland uh, and then it's uh, the UK next week uh, and then it's France and then it's come back uh, to Slovenia and uh, oh. Uh, September will be very crazy because I will be in Switzerland again and then uh, Norway, then uh, uh, in Hamburg and in Germany and then in Denmark. So it's really, yeah, I'm in tour. This year, I can say that I'm in tour. On tour. Like it was a
0: music (laughs) band. That's great. That's so great. Well, keep keep sharing all of the photos and everything. I'm, we'll, we'll follow you as, as you go. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. It's so great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes